Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. This week, my name is Terry Fletcher. Really happy to have everybody. Hope everyone had a wonderful 4th of July and it wasn't too hot for you. We had some fireworks here. And did you see the price of fireworks? Oh my goodness, I'm so glad it's illegal to buy them here in California that you have to go find to watch them somewhere. But man, things have gone up. And you're thinking, fireworks? How is that even possible? But everything is just so expensive right now. But hope you had a a really good holiday weekend and got the extension for being off uh, Monday as well. So this week we are at our 246th episode of the CodeCast podcast, and I'm going to revisit a topic that seems to keep coming up in my audits. And after talking about it with my good friend and fellow consultant Sean Sean Weiss last week on his Compliance Guy podcast, um, it's time that I discussed it again, or at least revisit it again. And that topic is Incident 2. And I know everybody's like, oh, Incident 2 again. Well, I haven't had it on my podcast since February of 2021. So it has been about a year and a half. But there was a report in the Becker's Hospital Review. I don't know if you subscribe to any you know, magazines or um, healthcare uh, publications. I know I subscribe, obviously, to CMS, to the OIG, uh, to Becker's Hospital, to the ASC, Becker's and uh, you know wall street journal but only because they're giving some uh, repeated information that it's hard to find sometimes but there are and obviously the journal american medical association but there are some publications out there that you definitely want to be part of and becker's is one of them they're very accurate they give really good information Um, also medical economics they're a little controversial sometimes but um, i do subscribe to them as well but the commission so there was a report um, in becker's hospital review last week and it said that MedPAC, which is the commission that reports to Medicare on expenditures and how they can save money or what's wasteful spending for HHS or Medicare, they said that over $94 million a year could be saved if there were no incident two. Okay, ouch. And this is an important topic. I think most of you know my opinion on it if you've ever taken a webinar of mine on how to code and report and bill for incident two. Um, or if you just heard me talk about it in general, mainly because I think it's really hard to enforce the rules. And I think a lot of providers take liberties with the incident two rules that are not appropriate and are non-compliant and you could find yourself in some trouble. I'm also seeing this more and more on legal challenges um, in arbitrations that I've been involved in. I've been an expert witness on some of these things. And so I'm going to try and give you the rules in a very direct way without a lot of a lot of filler, just saying, okay, here, here's, here's my top 10 list. And he goes, you guys know, I love top 10 lists. So here we go. And I just want to make sure that, you know, you may have to revisit this or listen to it again to write all these down. But this is kind of the gist that comes from the Social Security Act and from Medicare. This is what you need to know as far as how incident two works. So rule one. This is a Medicare rule. Many commercial plans may also follow it, but it is a Medicare rule, which means the government is monitoring. Rule two, the physician, MD or DO, must initiate care. So that initial visit must be performed by a physician, or we do not even have an incident two discussion. This means that new patient visits are not subject to incident two rules, only established patient visits. Number three, incident two services for this discussion, we're going to talk about NPs or PAs or clinical nurse specialists 
mid-level providers that can independently bill, and I'm air quoting, to Medicare. So we're not talking about ancillary staff or the level one visit. We're talking about our nurse practitioners and PAs. Number four, there must be an employment arrangement between the billing provider and the NPP providing services. So for example, you cannot say, oh my, I have two NPPs, they're both sick, and so I need to go to the, see if I can borrow an, a nurse practitioner from the hospital to provide some institute services for the patients that were scheduled with my mid-levels today. Well, you're not paying them a fee and you cannot pass along an expense to a patient that you did not incur. So there has to be either an employee uh, arrangement or a 1099 contract employee arrangement. So make sure you're aware of that. You can't bill for services that you're not paying out to anybody that you're not performing. Number five, when an NP or PA provides incident to services, this means there is a treatment plan in place that is the advanced practice provider is carrying out incident to the physician who initiated it. That's what incident to means. It means that there was a physician who said, okay, this is what the patient needs. They saw them initially. And now if I'm not available, the patient can also schedule with my nurse practitioner or PA. And now they're carrying out the physician plan of care. It's not the mid-levels plan of care. It's the physician plan of care. That's an incident to rule. That's the, the spirit of what it is. Number six, the services are billed out under either the physician of the patient who's in clinic that day and should be available if there's an issue, or a physician who is part of the same group practice, same specialty, who will be the supervising or billing physician that day and will be responsible for that um, encounter from a counter signature and liability. So let's say that the patient had an initial visit, so a new patient visit uh, two weeks ago, they were asked to schedule an appointment with the NP in two weeks. They did, but their physician who saw them initially is not in clinic. Let's say they're at the cath lab or they're in surgery. But the but there are you're in part of a group, so there's another physician uh, in the office who let's say is on rotation to be the supervising physician that day or who has agreed to be the supervising physician for the NPs. So they would have to sign off on that note, and they are now legally responsible for that patient even though it's going to be billed under that physician. Remember, it's not that that doctor's supervising so it can be billed under the patient's physician. If you're not in clinic, you don't get credit. So you have to be the doctor that's in clinic. And if you're in the same group practice, same specialty, then that doctor who's taking on that responsibility gets that um, that billing. So from, from that incident to perspective. So it would be billed out under the physician who's in clinic and who is the one that is considered the supervising physician that day. And they do need a counter signature. I've checked most states and I think there's two states that says that it has to be at least their name and credentials underneath. Every other state wants a signature. The physician who reports the, this is number seven, the physician who reports the NPB service must be in the office suites and in a clinical capacity, not there on their day off doing paperwork. I had an incident come up recently. Oh my gosh, the uh, lawyer had a field day with this one on the other side, the payer side. And actually it was a uh, Medicare Advantage plan. So this was interesting. So we had a physician who uh, was there on their day off and they were just doing administrative work, paperwork, and this plan followed Medicare rules on incident two. 
They weren't there in a clinical capacity, but they billed out under that physician. Well, that physician wasn't scheduled to be there, so there was no scheduled uh, information that they were there. Yes, there his, he was there doing his charting, but there was no you know hidden cameras to make sure he was in the office. He didn't sign into everything. And again, he wasn't there in a clinical capacity, so they threw out all of those visits that were billed out under that physician. So keep that in mind. That's, that's kind of a little hidden uh, rule that not everybody is aware of. Number eight, the NPP cannot change, modify, or see a new problem under incident two rules. So this kind of goes back up to the rule number two where the physician initiates care and then the NPP carries it out. So in rule number eight, the NPP again cannot change, modify, or see a new problem under incident two rules. If there is a new problem or a change in the treatment plan by the NPP, irrespective if the physician is meeting the supervision guidelines in clinic, then you bill that what we call directly under the NPP and you're going to take a 15% reduced reimbursement as they are not the physician who initiated the plan. Now, rule number nine, and I did split this up because there is a caveat to that. So let's say in that initial uh, visit with the physician, the doctor put the patient on a prescription drug, let's say they're hypertension, and they wanted to make sure it was going to work. They confirmed the patient was hyper, you know, did have hypertension, and to control it, they put them on a medication. So the patient, and but put also in their documentation, um, we're going to try this patient. They gave the dosage, the amount, the drug, and then said this patient may need this patient um, may need adjusting uh, in their medication based on outcomes. And my NPP will be authorized to adjust this medication should it need adjusting upon an established patient return. That would be okay under the incident too, but it has to be part of the treatment plan. So you see what I did there? Now, do not take liberties with this. Do not do this for every single thing. Do not have a blanket statement in there. This is individual to a particular patient. I can see this opening up a can of worms where you going back and telling your physician, oh, just put in your initial visit that the NP can do any kind of adjustment and that's still incident too. No, that has to be based on that particular individual patient. I mean, you can just look at the, the new 2021 rules and realize that everything is very uh, individual now to a patient. Problems addressed. You know, what are you reviewing and analyzing? What's your plan of care and overall risk for that patient? So it, it has to be individual. It cannot be a blanket statement. And do not do not do this as a trend. Number 10, and this is kind of the last rule, this is not a valid uh, rule. So incident two is not valid in the hospital or facility setting. There are shared visits for that collaboration for, and both the MD and NPP would have to see the patient and other rules apply as far as medical decision-making or time, et cetera. And there's also modifiers when it comes to the shared visits. This is for office visits only. Okay, so office visits only. And we're talking about established visits. So this does not apply to new patient visits. Keep that in mind. But those are really the top 10. There's obviously going to be some other nuances when you look at incident two rules. But as far as understanding what you can bring back to your physician, that is the biggest one. And we just want to make sure that you, you've got that covered. Okay, so my coding question today comes from one of my clients that are that they are in Texas. And it says, Terry, if our non-physician practitioners, so our NPP, sees a, a critically ill patient on the same day as a physician, does that nurse practitioner need to document their time if the physician also documents their time as a shared visit? Okay, so I'm moving away from incident two. I'm talking about shared visits. And so the answer is yes. 
if you're sharing a critical care service, which actually in 2022 is now allowed, it hasn't been allowed before, it can be shared between an NP and a physician, and it has to be reported with the modifier F as in Frank, S as in Sam. So it has to have an FS modifier because that's the split or shared visit. There is an FT modifier for critical care, but remember that's just in a post-op period and that's a physician modifier. So that's not what this is. But if a critical care service based on that question was shared between an NP and a physician, then again, it must be reported with an FS. You have to have time documented and it doesn't matter who's reporting the service, whether it be the NP or physician, that modifier still stays. And whoever spent more than 50% of the total time is how you determine who gets credit for it. And both providers must document their time in the medical record. And this is actually something that's going to be watched and looked at and I'm sure audited, especially when in 2023, time is the only way that you can use um, any kind of uh, shared visit, or I should say level that shared visit. So it's going to be a little bit different next year, but right now they're, they're saying we really want you to do that. Our coding question is brought to you today by Stranger Things, a Netflix original. Season four is now streaming as of May 22nd, 2022. Tune into Stranger Things season four. Are you ready? It's so funny when I get these, uh, <laughs> get these companies that are like, oh, can we sponsor you? And I'm like, that's kind of creepy, but you know what? Here we go. I actually have watched that before. Some, you need to walk around the house after you watch it and lock all the doors. It's crazy. So my personal tidbit this week is don't forget your sunscreen. If you're going outside, it's so hot right now and the sun is brutal. Also, if you've been out in the heat for a while, try to come into a cooler area or get in the shade and just, you know, breathe and drink a lot of water. Look for sunblock instead of sunscreen and find at least a 45 um, as far as the, the protection. And according to dermatologists, that's, they say you should start there. You'll still get tan, trust me. And if you're using those sprays, remember a lot of them, since we spray outside, kind of gets taken away by the breeze. Make sure you're reapplying after being in the water every hour. And if you are, um, if it's kids, it should be every hour and also every 90 minutes. Also try and limit your time in the direct sunlights to two hours and that's with sunblock. And you also don't forget your creams for face and for kids if you can. I remember when, when I was younger, we used to, oh my gosh, put baby oil on our body and sit up on our roof and just, you know, sit in the sun. Well, I kept forgetting that I'm Irish and have a fair skin and it's crazy, but you, you really have to protect yourself right now. The sun is hotter than ever. And I would hate to see any of you get sunstroke or, you know, any kind of skin cancer. And so just really be protective, especially with fair skin and especially with our kids. Okay, short one this week, but that's it for me. Make it a great day. Make it a great week. And I'll talk to you next week on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music.